morning, everyone. Great to see you. Um, as you know, I'm Rob, one of the elders here at the church. Um, yeah, youth, year seven, to eight, and nine. If there's any other seven, eights, and nines in the building, you're going out this morning. Have fun. Yes, it's my privilege to, to bring God's word to us today. Um, if you haven't been around for the last couple of weeks, we've looked at a mini-series on the church. Uh, Sai spoke on the beauty of the church, what it means to belong to the church. Today I'm speaking on building the church. Um, and I'd like to look at a parable, um, a familiar parable perhaps to many, and it's the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. So if you've got a Bible, you've got a, few min- a minute or two to find that now. So Matthew 25. And if you don't know this parable, it's one of many parables that Jesus taught about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of God is not a physical, earthly kingdom, but one where Jesus reigns as Lord and King in the hearts of his believers. Jesus' parables each show us a different aspect of what the kingdom is, so we've got a fuller picture. For example, Jesus taught that the kingdom's so precious that we would sell everything we have to get it. Jesus taught that it's like a seed that grows, starts as something small with the faith of each believer, but yet it grows, it's active. With every new believer, the kingdom grows. So if Jesus is king, then we who've put our faith in him are those who serve and honor him. And I'd like to look at this parable today, the talents, because Jesus taught what it means to be a good and faithful servant in the kingdom. And of course, this applies to every aspect of our lives as believers, but the primary agent of the kingdom is the local church. So I'd like to look today at how we can play our part in extending and growing God's kingdom through building the church here in Helsham. Before I read the, t- the, the, the parable of the talents, I just want to address that word talent, because if you've not read it, it can seem confusing. In our language, we know what a talent is, don't we? If someone's talented, it means they're good at something. They've got a skill, something they're very, very good at. But Jesus, in this parable, as you'll see, talks about it like it's money. And that's because in Jesus' time, a talent was a specific weight of coins, of silver or gold. So if you had a talent of silver, you were very well off. And it's in fact because of this very parable that Jesus taught that we have the word talent in our language. So Jesus is telling it about our abilities and our skills, but in the context he's talking about it as a a unit of money, just in case you're not sure. So let's look at it. Matthew 25, starting at verse 14. It'll be behind me if you haven't got a Bible with you. So Jesus said this, For it, the kingdom will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents uh, went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid the master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I did not sow, where I have not sown, gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he who will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a challenging parable. I just want to pray. Father God, just thank you for your word. We thank you you speak to us. I just pray this morning you would open your word uh, through me this morning, that we would hear from you, we would meet with you, and we'd be challenged by you, and we'd respond appropriately. Amen. So what's Jesus saying in this parable, and how are we to respond? So if you didn't catch it, the parable is about a rich master who goes away, leaving his servants with a responsibility over what he's left them. Uh, And the point is that he wants them to further increase his wealth and property. He leaves them with considerable resources and the trust that that they would use those resources. When the master returns, he holds them to account for what they have done using what he entrusted them with. He rewards those who have have shown willing and served diligently. Jesus was showing in this parable that God is the master. We who follow him are his servants who serve him. In fact, we can see Jesus as the master. After Jesus died and rose again, he returned to heaven. So he is the man in the parable who went on a journey. Because he will come again, won't he? In the meantime, he's left us his talents with responsibilities to use them, to use what he's given us to play our part to further the kingdom here. When Jesus returns, he will hold us account for what we've done with what he gave us. So like the master in the story, he will reward those who've served faithfully. Before I go any further, I do want to make it clear, though, that God doesn't reward our work and our service with salvation. The work we do for God will not earn his favor. We can't fix our broken relationship with God through hard works, and we can't do enough good things to outweigh our sin. That would contradict what the Bible says. The Bible is clear that salvation, to be right with God, is only through faith. Amen? Believing that Christ died in our place and accepting him as Lord and Savior is the only way into the kingdom. But our works, our response to that relationship we have with him. We don't become Christians by what we do. But what we do does matter. In the kingdom, we're called to be active, not passive. We're called to play our part in extending the kingdom, and primarily here through the local church. Today, we're thinking about building the church by using what God has given. So I want to draw out a few um, short principles and then look at how we can apply them here in Hailsham. I want us to see from this parable a few things. One, that God is the one who gives. What we have is valuable. God gives it to us for a purpose and expects a return. God rewards faithful stewardship. And lastly, don't bury what God gives. That's the challenge. So it's God is the one who, is, who, who gives. In his parable, everything belongs to the master. I don't know if you saw that. He is clearly very rich. The talents are his to give, and he chose to give them to his servants. They weren't earnings, and neither did the master. Uh, he, he wasn't forced to give them to the servants. They didn't uh, twist his arm. Instead, the master gave freely and gave generously. 
In the same way, God gives to us generously, doesn't he? Out of his love and grace towards us. In James 1, he reminds us of the generosity of our Heavenly Father. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And in the Old Testament, King David, he knew it was God who gave out of his riches. In 1 Chronicles 29, he declares this, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom. Both riches and honor come from you. So everything we have is from God. He is the one who gives to us generously. And if you noticed in the parable, the servants are given different amounts. One gives, one's given five, one two, one, and one is given one. And that was up to the master. That was his choice. He knew what his servants were capable of, and he knew their potential. So in the same way, God does give gift differently to us, but that's his choice. Secondly, I'd like to see what he has given us is immensely valuable. So this parable is about talents, five, two, and one to each servant. I don't know about you, but I've read this before and sort of almost taken pity on the last one. He was only given one, but it's not like that at all. As I said earlier, a talent in Jesus' time was a considerable amount of money. It was a certain weight of gold or silver coins. And I've read this in a number of different commentaries, and they reckon in today's money, one talent was worth about 600,000 pounds. So we don't feel too bad for him, do we? (laughs) So even though that last servant was only given the one talent, he was still given over half a million pounds worth of resources to do something with. So it wasn't just like one little coin, here you go, find something to do. So in this, in this uh, metaphor, this parable, Jesus is showing us that what we are given has immense value. We often use that phrase, don't we, a God-given talent. You know, often we think about someone with exceptional ability. You know, when you see a sports person at the top of their game and make it look easy, or, or a musician who's mastered their instrument, or an artist whose work you could just stare at, you think, wow, that's a talent. It's easy to say that's valuable, isn't it? And it's easy, perhaps, too, to get jealous. Oh, I wish I could do that. But actually, Jesus shows that all gifts are valuable, even if it seems smaller or insignificant compared to others. What makes it valuable is who it's from and that's from Christ, and the potential that every single talent has. So don't underestimate what talents you have, even if it's not what someone else has. And what's more, God has equipped us with the very, for the very task that he's planned for us to do. In Ephesians 2, we read what Paul said, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God knows us, he equips us differently, but for different ways to serve. And that's okay, it's not a competition. We shouldn't compare ourselves with anyone else. God has given us each a valuable talent that has great value in his kingdom. Amen? Next, I want us to see that God gives us for a purpose and expects a return. In the parable, the talents came back to the master. They were his at the start, and they came back to him at the end. They were always his. Even the third servant knew that, didn't he, when he returned it? He said, here, have it back. The master demonstrates great uh, trust for his servants. This is no small thing to entrust the property and the talents to each one. But it was with a purpose to increase the master's wealth. The master entrusts them to use their talents creatively. 
It doesn't specify how to use them, and we don't know much about really what they did, how they invested their talents to make more, but they did. And I think that's helpful to remember, isn't it? It means that we don't have to serve in specific ways. We can use our talents as we, uh, we know ourselves best, don't we, what we're good at. But it also means, on the other hand, we should never dismiss anything and say, oh, actually, that's, I'm above that. We can serve in multiple ways. This parable is an invitation for us to be involved in something special, to use what we've been entrusted with for a purpose beyond ourselves, to serve God, extend his kingdom here. I think remembering that it doesn't belong to us is also helpful. As a family, we've had uh, numerous holidays staying uh, in other people's homes, so house-sitting for friends or family. I don't know if you've done that before. But if you've ever stayed in someone else's house or borrowed a, you know, someone's car or borrowed something of uh, value from someone else, you look after it, don't you? You know, When we stayed in other people's homes, I take extra care washing up, make sure there's always a coaster under the cup, always make sure we put things back where we found them, make sure the kids aren't running around too much. Why do we do that? Because we know we've got to hand it back. It's not ours. It's only ours temporarily for the week. Or perhaps a business loan might be a better example of this. If you were starting a business and then someone came and invested in your idea, you're going to be diligent with every penny, aren't you, that they've invested? Because it's, it is yours, but it's also not yours. The investor's going to expect it back, or hope it comes back, and the investor's going to hope that it's actually grown and become more. Back in Genesis 1, we see that God created humans and gave them the whole earth. And in chapter 2, we see God puts Adam in the garden to work it, to maintain it. So right from the start of Scripture, we see this pattern. God gives generously and then asks us to steward it, be responsible for it, to see growth and increase like a farmer tending a garden. So God gives for a purpose. Next, God rewards faithful stewardship. When the master returns, he meets with each servant to see how they've used their talents that he left them. The first two returned their talents and had made more. They embraced their responsibility, and they, gave, uh, they embraced their responsibility on behalf of the master. And how does he respond to that familiar phrase, well done, good and faithful servant? And then we can see the joy in service. He says, well, enter into the joy of your master. We see here a picture of God's pleasure over us when we do serve diligently. There's joy in serving. There's joy in using our talents that God's given us. And then he rewards them with further responsibilities, which perhaps can seem daunting, but actually God can see that they have proven themselves. These two masters were a safe pair of hands, weren't they, with the master's talents and the master's property. The master doesn't say the same thing about the last servant, does he? What I think is interesting with both servants is that they received the same commendation, exactly the same words back to them, even though they returned different mounts. One returned five, one returned only two. So it's not always about how much we do, but that we do something. Jesus is clear that we have the opportunity to use what we have been given, to steward our talents well. We're simply called to step faithfully into using the abilities that God's given us. I like how William Barclay puts it. He says this, It is not a man's talent that matters. What matters is how he uses it. God never demands from a man abilities which he has not got, but that he does demand that a man should use to the full the abilities that he does possess. Whatever talent we have, little or great, 
We must lay it at the service of God. So God sees your service and sees your faithfulness and will reward. My last principle I want to draw out is this. Don't bury what God gives. The third third servant buried his talent in the ground. He did nothing useful for the master. So this can mean ignoring our gifts or not being willing to use it for God. It might also mean not wanting things to change. The servant returned it just as it was. You could argue that he looked after it, maybe. He didn't lose any of it, didn't make it any worse. But then I think we've missed the point there, haven't we? He wasn't given it to look after it. He was given it to do something with it. Imagine, if you will, a teenager with a messy bedroom. Hard to imagine? In my house, it's not hard to imagine. Imagine you left that child with the responsibility, one job to do, tidy your room while I've gone out, and you come back, and nothing's changed. Not a single sock has been picked up. Not a single thing has been put away. You could say, well, it's not that bad. It's not made it any worse. But then we've missed the issue, haven't we? We've missed the point. They've been given a responsibility to do something. Even if they picked up a few things, that would be progress, wouldn't it? Or imagine how a boss would react if they uh, came and found one of their employees had done absolutely nothing all day. Are they going to say, well done for not getting those tools dirty today? Are they going to say, well done for saving electricity, for not turning your work computer on? Not going to say that, are they? They're going to be such disappointment, a, a waste of time and opportunity. So in this parable, the only one Jesus calls out is that third servant who does nothing. It's not an easy read, is it, that part? But we can't shy away from what Scripture says. It's clear that we will all be held account for what we do or what we don't do. As Paul writes in Romans, 12, Romans 14, we'll all stand before God one day. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. So I think this servant doesn't have the right understanding of the master. Instead of seeing his generosity and the trust and the opportunity to serve, he sees him as a taskmaster and therefore is willing, unwilling to participate. There's no relationship there, is there? This, this uh, parable teaches us that in God's kingdom, his people serve passionately, diligently with what God gives them. Why? Because they have a correct understanding of what God's done for them first. And they recognize the privilege of partnering with the God of the universe. It's amazing to think, isn't it, that the God who created all things gives us a little responsibility and says, yeah, use this for me. I was thinking about this recently and I saw a news article, I don't know if you saw this on the news recently, about um, a college in America that found what they thought was a time capsule underground. Did anybody see that? If you didn't see it, they, uh, they were moving a, um, a statue on their campus and they found this metal box that had been buried under the statue 200 years ago. And they were convinced that it was a time capsule and it would have something really amazing to see that someone had left for them 200 years ago. They tried to x-ray it, but it was made of lead. So they had no idea what was inside. And they thought, wouldn't it be great if we opened it together, made a big, big thing of it? So they had this huge event. They invited hundreds of people. They live-streamed it. You can probably guess the end. I, I watched the highlights, and they were interviewing all these different people. Well, I think this will be inside. I think this will be inside. I think this will be inside. They opened it live, and it just had a tiny layer of mud in the bottom of it. <laughs> Disappointing. The reality is, isn't it, if we bury something in the ground, it's not going to get better. It's probably going to get worse. It's probably going to decay and perish. It's like when you stop exercising, isn't it? Your health just deteriorates so fast. Or if you give up playing an instrument, it's 
it's impossible to pick it up straight away and be as good as you were before. So like the time capsule, if we bury our talents and then expect to come back later and find there's a treasure inside or a reward for it, we're going to be disappointed. Choosing not to serve, uh, not to use our talents to serve God will not bring an increase in his kingdom. It won't bring glory to God and it won't be rewarded. Surely instead we want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. So that's the principles of the, of, the, of the parable. I just want to think about how we can apply that here in Hailsham. So what does that mean for building church here? I'd like to look at the, how we can use our responsibility for what God has given us to bring growth here. I want us to start by thinking about using our talents to serve. And after all, that's what the parable is about. I'd like you to consider how you can play your part here at Christ Church in Hailsham. What are your talents? What are your skills? What can you contribute what are the ways that you can serve this church? And I do want to say straight away, on behalf of the elders, thank you for everyone who does serve. We know there are so many here who, who do diligently serve week in, week out, and in so many ways. Ways that we see publicly and things that happen you know, behind closed doors, as it were. Things that other people don't see. So thank you for all that you do, those who serve. You know, there are some areas in church life that do require you know, certain skills. For example, playing on the worship team, you know, you've got to know your music. Overseeing the church accounts wouldn't be for everyone. If you're artistic, you could bring your skills to promotional material and, and artwork. There are lots of other ways to serve too, which perhaps don't require such specialist skills, but are no less valuable. Each different way to serve requires different abilities, different skills. In the context of spiritual gifts, Paul wrote to the Corinthians to remind them that we are a body. I think Tom mentioned this earlier. We're a body made up of different parts, and every part is necessary. So please, again, don't underestimate the importance of what you do and what you can bring to the church. There are many teams to be a part of here. The reality is that we do need more people to be involved. So I'm making a challenge to you now. If you're not serving, please serve. From setting up and moving chairs, making refreshments, to working with the kids and the youth. We've got ministries and groups in the church like Keys, CMA, Global Cafe, The Hub, Little Gems, and lots more. So what talents and abilities has God given you that you could use for growth here? Now, of course, I know there are seasons when we can't be involved as much as we'd like to, perhaps due to health reasons or family situations or work commitments. Absolutely. However, I do want to make a challenge. If you're too busy in life to do anything at the church, then can I encourage you to prayerfully consider perhaps maybe where something might need to change? I'll leave that for you to pray about. You know, in a similar way to our practical talents and skills, we believe that God gives us spiritual gifts too in the church, such as the gift of healing, prophecy, or faith. Again, these are gifts from God, not for our benefit, but for, to bless the church and increase the kingdom here. And like the talents, we're not all given the same things, are we? Paul wrote about this in uh, Romans 12, about spiritual gifts, and he said this, having Gifts that differ accordingly to the grace given to us, let us use them. Simple as that. We each got different gifts, but we can each use them. And Peter wrote about our differing gifts too. In 1 Peter 4, he said this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. 
Do you see the pattern again? God gives, we steward the gift to build the church, and God gets the glory. So what talents and gifts has God equipped you with? Will you use these gifts to honor the master, or will you bury them and leave them untouched? As I said, we're a body, and we need everyone to function well as a body. And one specific area or gifting is leadership, which I'd like to go to next. We have many gifted and emerging leaders in this church, which is really exciting. Not everyone's called to be a leader, but those who are have a choice of stepping in to that gift to bring growth in others and in the church. I'll be honest, leading's not always easy, but it is a privilege of supporting and investing in other people. As Jesus said, it's not about lording authority over others, but being a servant. And Jesus was the perfect example, wasn't he? In Matthew 20, he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So has God given you an ability to lead? If so, can I encourage you to pray about how you can build the church with your gifting here? One area is life group leading. Could you lead a life group? Would you be interested? I'd love to, uh, to see more life group leaders raised up in this church. And if, that's, if you think that's something you could do, please come and speak to me afterwards. Next, I want to think about giving. And I know Sai has spoken on giving recently as well. But we do build the church through giving too. And again, on behalf of the leaders here, thank you for all who give generously. I think the principles of this parable apply here to our giving. All that we have is a gift, and we're invited to use that to advance his kingdom. As Sai reminded us last week in Acts 4, the early church gave. Giving is part of our discipleship as, as children of God, isn't it? When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he was encouraging them to, to give generously to help other believers who are struggling. He praised them for what they did well, but then he said, don't forget to give. Give well as well. He said this in 1 Corinthians 8, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, see that you excel in this gift, this act of grace too. And that was giving that he was referring to. So again, if we are, and I know so many are keen to, to continue walking with God and to, to uh, deepen the faith and to you know, follow what the Bible teaches, but as Paul says here, don't forget giving's part of that as well. As a church, we have so much potential in this physical building, don't we? And the ministries that we run, we really do have potential to bless this uh, community and share the good news of Jesus. But the truth is, it costs money. How much you give is between you and God. But know that God will use whatever you give generously. In Mark 12, Jesus saw a widow giving her offering, just two tiny coins. Now, compared to the rich people around, it seemed like nothing. But Jesus knows what it cost her. So again, it's not about the amount, but it is about giving generously. It's about doing something with what you have. I don't know about you, I've always wondered what God did with those two coins. Imagine what he could do with what you gave generously. I was also thinking about the uh, feeding of the 5,000. Again, an incredible miracle. But how did it start? One boy with his packed lunch. Five loaves of bread, two fish. And the boy had a choice, as we've seen already in the parable. He had a choice, eat it himself or share it with others. And there's no doubt that he was just as hungry as everybody else. 
Let's be honest, it wasn't very much, was it? There's no way a pack, one packed lunch is going to feed thousands of people. But yet he chose to give it. And he saw something bigger than himself. And again, it's that pattern. The boy gave what he had, even if it was little, and Jesus multiplied it. His gift grew and literally blessed thousands of people. And then God gets the glory at the end. Again, like serving, there are seasons, isn't there, when finances are hard and we're not able to give as much as we'd like. God knows that. And please know my heart here. I'm not trying to make anyone feel condemned. But again, I want to make a direct challenge here. If you're regular here and you call Christchurch your home church and you're not giving anything, then I want to challenge you on that. Please be praying about what you can give. Don't bury your money. Like the talents, we're given different incomes, aren't we? So whether it's a small income we have or a lot, Jesus will hold us account for what we do with it. And he's inviting us to invest in his work. Next, I'd like us to think about relationships. Again, are you investing in relationships in the hope that they'll grow? After all, the church is not the building, is it? It's us. We, the people, are the church. God's given us one another here in the church. So like talents, each of us is a gift to each, each one else. You are literally God's gift to the church. And the New Testament's full of one another verses. I don't know if you read these. There are so many of these verses that mention one another because our relationships with one another is key if we're going to build this church. For example, Scripture says that we should love one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, confess our sins to one another, be hospitable to one another, encourage and build up one another. God did not make us to be isolated on our own, but we were made for relationships. So I encourage you to use the gift of each other and play your part in building each other up. If you're not already, can I encourage you also to consider being part of a life group or a discipleship group? I mean, this is one of the best places to build up one another and to do life alongside others in the church. So again, if you'd like to join a life group, please speak to me afterwards. Lastly, I'd like to look at evangelism as one more area to build the church. This is how we build church, through, growing, through sharing the good news of Jesus with others. In Ephesians 2, familiar verse, it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's a gift from God. Again, like the talents, our salvation itself is a gift. It's life-changing when we become part of God's kingdom and we get to use what we've received by sharing it with others so that they may know Jesus as Lord. In Romans 1, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You can see here, Paul didn't bury his faith, did he? He didn't keep it to himself, but used every opportunity to tell others to serve God by increasing the kingdom through preaching and sharing the good news. And that's what we can do as well. Through every conversation, one at a time, we can share the good news and see what we've got shared with others. And as we said earlier, we've got Alpha coming up, a really easy way to invite people to find out more about Christ. Can I invite the band up, please? Have we got time for us? Have we got time for a song? Yeah, yeah? okay. Always time for a mom. Thank you. So while they're coming up, just in closing, just to remind us that God has provided everything that we need to build his church here. He's provided the talents to serve, spiritual gifts, leaders, finances, one another, the gospel, plus, of course, scripture, prayer, worship, and so much more. 
God's provided us everything we need. But the challenge is this, isn't it? Will you bury what he gives in the ground and leave it untouched? Or will you invest in his kingdom, faithfully steward what you've been given to see growth that brings him glory? It's an invitation for us all to partner with God in the power of the Spirit to build his church here. Amen? Amen. Amen. We'd like to stand and then we can uh, pray and then we'll finish with a song. Father God, thank you that you are building your church. Thank you that you are more generous than we could ever imagine. We thank you for everything you have given us and everything you continue to give. We thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us in so many ways, practically and materially and more importantly, spiritually, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you want to build your church here in Helsham. We thank you, Lord, that you want us to be involved. What a privilege, Lord. May we receive joyfully what you give us. May we be faithful to use what you've given us to see your kingdom grow here in this town, that it would be a blessing to those around us. Father God, I pray you would challenge us today, stir us, that we would see where we can give, where we can serve, where we can see grow. Father, we thank you again for the responsibilities that you do give us. May we, in the power of the Holy Spirit, walk with you to see your kingdom come here. Amen.